Welcome back to Better Podcasting Chats with me, SP. I had a fantastic vacation at the Family Lake home, which was followed by a lot of things needing to be fixed, starting with the trip home and including a ton of stuff along the way, all the way into my podcast studio right here. So I spent the better part of the last week fixing things, including my microphone boom arm mount. And if you want to see how I did that, there's a video over on the Gonna Geek Gear YouTube channel, which you might want to watch. I guarantee you'll get two to three chuckles out of it and probably groan a couple of times as well. Everyone who's watched it so far has said it's worth their time. So let me know if you check it out and what you think about it. In my weekly Steven update, my co-host on the Better Podcasting main show, I can tell you that he is currently on vacation with little to no internet connection, and I definitely look forward to talking to him when he returns next week. If you are listening right now, send him a tweet at Stephen John Drew, that's Stephen with a P-H and John Drew, J-O-N-D-R-E-W, and let him know you are thinking about it. Now, this next part, I say upfront every week because I mean it. If you want to schedule a time to chat with me about your podcasting experience on this show right here with me and your podcast, please send me an email, stargatepioneer at gunnageek.com, or send me a DM on Twitter or Discord, and we'll arrange a time to have you on. I know a lot of you would love to have your say on podcasting, and this is your chance to come and join me for a chat on whatever podcasting subject you want to talk about, and I would genuinely love to have you on. Now, for this week, I am joined by somebody who has been a pretty prolific poster in all the online podcasting spaces that I stick my digital hands into. He's a relatively new actual play podcast producer on his way to celebrate one year of podcasting in a few weeks, as well as he is planning to attend his first genre convention in a few weeks to immerse himself in the subject, as well as to do a little networking. His show is titled Roll for Intent, and I'm going to ask him why they didn't choose Roll with Intent instead. Welcome to the show, Trevor. Hey there, thanks for having me, SB. Your name's Trevor Payne, your podcast producer. And you've been doing this for a year, right? Right about. Yeah, I think probably we first started recording technically in May of 2021, but we released our first show Labor Day 2021. How did you get interested in podcasting? Honestly, it was somebody that I was playing a weekly game with that said, hey, we should, we had been recording our sessions because we had a large group of people that would drop in and drop out and people would, would listen if they couldn't make it. And he figured, hey, that these are pretty great. Let's go ahead and record them and actually produce them. And let's see if we can make a show out of them. So we did. And how did that process go? How did you learn how to do it? So I have been in the AV industry for about 15 years at this point at a weird intersection with AV and computer science. So I'm an AV programmer. I do DSP programming, lots of live sound stuff. And I leveraged that knowledge that I'd grown over my real career and just kind of iterated on what I knew from live sound application to what I could do for produce sound application. We did a few recordings where we could get our chemistry right and produce those and listen to them amongst each other and really focused in on getting a good cast that had good chemistry from our group of people that we were already playing with 
plus some outside voices that were more interested in the production side. And that's how we got our first run of our cast. So you talked a little bit about chemistry. That's very important with an ensemble cast in any sort of podcasting, whether it's just two podcasters like myself and Steven on Better Podcasting, or whether it's a panel podcast with five or six people or a playthrough podcast like yourselves. How would you go about or how did you go about ensuring that the chemistry was there and what sort of chemistry were you shooting for? Well, most of us had played together for mm, probably almost a year before we decided to record for production for other people to listen to. And I got the core group that really was good at role-playing, that was good at embodying their characters and living through their characters, and still were funny and relatable and had decent voice acting. But we really focused on not only the role-playing aspect, because we didn't want it to be like this dry, overly serious thing. We wanted humor, too. We wanted it to still feel like a group of people around a table, you know, like you were going to your own table. And that's really what drove our chemistry is who can tell good jokes, who can tell things off the fly that make people laugh, who has good insight, who can take the role-playing opportunity that's been given to them and make it not only relatable to the show, but relatable to people and something that we can talk about in the future. And that's, that's probably the, the biggest thing that we looked at for chemistry-wise, is, is it something that we would enjoy listening back to? And how big was your cast when you started the show? When we started, there was five of us. So it was me and four other people. About 14 episodes in, we added another cast member. So it was six. And then at our six-month anniversary, we added a seventh cast member. And we have... We announced it recently on our own Discord. We have two cast members that are leaving us, so we're going to be contracting back down to five cast members, and we're really sad to see them go. We wish them the best, but I have to admit that producing a one-and-a-half-hour show for five voices is going to be a heck of a lot more streamlined than it was for seven. So it sounds a little bit like Saturday Night Live. Cast members come and go. They can. We're really interested in, in finding opportunities for people to come and go guest-wise, too. And, you know, we're always open to our other cast members coming back if they want to for a couple episodes or something. Whatever works, right? Whatever we find. Our, our latest cast member that joined, he joined in as a rules lawyer. He was our first fan on our Discord, actually, and got really involved in the community. And he's another content creator. And we brought him in because he knew the rules better than me. I'm relatively new to this game, right? And he had a lot of fun making fun of how bad we man mangled the rules for the first few episodes. So I figured, you know, we got to the point we hit our six-month anniversary. We were like, hey, you've done a lot for our community. You're a great evangelist for our show. We use your content. He, he makes compatible monsters and archetypes and stuff for our game that we use, and, and we really wanted to bring him on. So we brought that person on. And, you know... That's the sort of thing that, that we really focused on from the beginning was making a, a good community atmosphere. And I don't think there's anything more that speaks to having a good community than being able to pull people from that community to join your show. So you're the producer of the podcast. Who runs the game? Are you the game master? I also run the game. Wow. That's double duty there. That's a lot of time. Well, so we kind of separate the editing out between people, right? So... I'm not doing all the editing for a while. We had one cast member that was doing way too much of the editing, and we ended up slowly cross-training the other members of the cast to do editing. I get 
uh, final say essentially on content and flow, but we get editing done by other people, and then I do the mastering and the final content. My wife does most of the QC. She's actually the voice of the intro and the outro of the show, so it's kind of a family affair, too. So It's not a one-man band, thank goodness, because I would be absolutely out of my mind. That's great to have your family involved in the show. Yeah. My wife's really embraced that side of it. It was really cool. I had originally wanted her on just to do, like, recaps or something. She has a really interesting voice, and she really, like, dove into trying to become this character that we've created that is the voice of the intro and she's actually a person in the show it, it was it's really neat to see her jump into that and really put a lot of effort into it aside from your wife is everybody with you in the room or are they geographically separated from you whether it's a house away or a country away all around the country we have our the cast that we have that's on the show now so our, our seven cast members we have three cast members in Michigan, one in West Virginia, two in California, and me in Texas. All over the place. About ringing the nation there. Yeah. Our original game group was about the same geographically in the U.S., but then we also had a player in Germany and a player in Japan. And the player in Germany is one of the ones that's in Michigan now, so it made it a lot easier. <laughs> oh, yeah. You have a background in AV. You had your selection of gear, but you had to equip your game players with gear in order to podcast and edit, I assume. So how'd you go about that? Was, did everybody have their own budget and they equipped themselves or did you have a community budget? How'd that work? So everybody ended up equipping themselves for the most part. I think we put money together for a couple of the members that were, you know, a little skint for the month, so to speak. We had one that was still kind of between jobs, post education, just trying to get a job in this field. So we kind of collected to them, but the hardest thing, actually, for this whole process was like the analysis paralysis involved in getting gear that was both affordable and good enough because we really wanted to have the same gear for everybody. And for the first 40-some-odd shows, we had all identical gear. From show one, we had identical gear. What was that identical gear? We have a Motu M2 interface, and everybody had pod mics, Rode pod mics, like the one you're using. And I just recently updated to an SE Electronics Dynacaster. But otherwise, rest of the show still has pod mics. Actually, I'm on Electro Voice RE320 at the oh, moment. Oh, I'm sorry. I saw the pod mic behind you, and then I saw the, the same similar tip of the grill, which I'm very jealous of the Electro Voice. That's, that's what I was going to get when I decided to get this one, because it's significantly cheaper. <laughs> I know. I went all out when I first started. I got a Shure SM7B, and I have a quiet voice. You might not be able to tell it because my gear is compensating for me. And just because I have a quiet voice, I couldn't get enough gain into that Shure SM7B for it to not sound rough around the edges. And you get that little crackle in between just because I didn't have enough force in my voice to do that. And I didn't understand that until I did a panel live with some of my co-hosts at C2E2 a few years ago. And I was sharing a mic with one of my co-hosts. And he was talking his normal talk and it was so loud to me. And then I was getting on the mic and I was yelling as loud as I could just to equal his same sort of thing. And so I couldn't use the Shure SM7B. I went with the Electro Voice RE320, which honestly was probably about the biggest microphone for a hobbyist at that point in time. Now you have the Dynacaster, you got the Rode mic, you got the Shure MV7 and MV7X, I believe. 
So there's a plethora of microphones that you could use as a podcaster now that just weren't available when I started podcasting and definitely when we started Better Podcasting in 2015 that didn't exist. So everybody had a pod mic and a Moto M2. I actually have one of those. It's on my secondary system right now. And my daughter used it during the pandemic for her remote teaching that she was doing. It worked out great for that. Yeah, before all of this, like when I was just recording our home game, I was using a AKG P420 for a while, and that was nice. But my room's not treated, so a condenser mic and an untreated room. I've got bookshelves now, like a bass trap, but before then, you know, my room was pretty much bare at the time. It was not a good thing to keep going, so I had to get something that was a little less sensitive. As a professional AV guy, how are you liking the Dynacaster? I really like it a lot. I am very impressed with how easy it is to drive because it's got the built-in uh, mic booster, essentially got an SE Dynamite built into it, which is great. So a little phantom power, you can just boost the heck out of the thing. And it's got the uh, cut and boost switches that do a pretty good job, giving you a lot of different tones for your voice for live, which I do a lot of that in post, so I just keep it flat. But I can throw my wife on it and she can sing and it sounds pretty dang good when you get the the selector switch is right. So it's a neat, neat piece of kit and it's really not that expensive. I could talk all night on microphones, but I'm going to move away from that because we got a lot more to talk about. Perfect. So you are still using the Moto M2? I am. Yes. Okay. So that Moto M2 can drive the Dynacaster just fine. So how does everybody record? Do they record with a DAW or do they have a hardware recorder? So no, on either. Uh, we use a service called OnWeCaster which we've used. Actually, that was the first service we tried and we stuck with it. The dev's great. I've been able to contact him with bugs and feature requests and he's been really responsive. He's awesome. And we've used that since day one. We also do record locally. Everybody uses whatever DAW they have. I record locally in Reaper. We got guys recording Logic, people that record in Audacity. So we have a backup and we have a mix down that we record as well, just in case everything fails. But that hasn't happened yet, luckily. But OnWeCaster allows me to record in FLAC in real time. And it's great. Has Ennui Caster ever failed for you? Not on our show. I tried to do a collab with some people and we had an issue where somebody's, somebody's failed and had a poor audio product, unfortunately. Uh, and we couldn't go forward with that collab. But as far as with the cast itself, we have not had an issue with Ennui Caster unless it was a Pebcac error problem exists between the chair and the keyboard where somebody turned off something and turned it back on, didn't reselect their source or something like that. That happens from time to time. I got gun shy because I lost a couple of recordings very early on in 2013 when I first started. So I went ape over backups and I make sure I have a hardware recorder. I realize that a lot of people don't do that these days. I realize a lot of people do use online recording services or DAWs and or both like you guys do. And that's fine too. Whatever it takes to make sure you don't lose a recording and you have a backup. That's my main point in the whole thing. My biggest issue with the hardware recorder was going to be cost, right? Because we would have to have something that can either be an interface that's good enough for the mics. That also has a hardware recorder in it that records at the bit rate we want and everything. So that was going to be prohibitively expensive for everybody to have starting up. If I was all in the same room, Absolutely, I'd have a hardware recorder, but that's not going to happen. The PopTrack P4 is a pretty versatile piece of hardware, but I realize that you can only record 
one format on it and an audio guy like yourself might not like that yeah i think it's only a 16-bit recording too right on the p4 yeah yeah at 48 kilohertz i believe right or, no which is 44 what we record one. at uh 48's what we record at because i mean a 44 or 48 is fine i mean bbc uses 4800 kilohertz opus which is our backup recording option so i mean if that's good enough for the bbc it's good enough for me yeah, most people like 48 because it syncs better with video. 44.1 has a tendency to drift quite a bit. Right. We don't do much video, but that was one of the things we were thinking of going forward because going down to a 24 frame and do that conversion from the 44.1 is funky sometimes. Yeah. You've been podcasting for almost a year. How have you improved your podcasting in that time? Oh, man, there's... Uh, I was just thinking about this the other day because I'd really love to remaster my first five episodes. Uh, I've got better in the DAW. I've got better at better at setting mood through ambient audio and music. We've got a larger catalog of music. We've got a larger catalog of VSTs. I've gotten better at nonsensicals during the recording. Got better at mic discipline. So has the entire cast. Better at nonsensicals. Better at mic discipline. Better at extraneous noises. I will say that recording. If we were to take the full cast at the skill that they were at day one and record today, it would be a drastically different experience everywhere from the edit to the master all the way through. It would be significantly more difficult. So you're talking about microphone technique, and I promise I won't go into microphones again, but how do you explain that to your guests and co-hosts? It has been a lot of drilling into them what to do, and they're all pretty good about it now. The pod mic really shines with a proximity effect because it's a little thinner at the highs. I know you said we weren't going to get back into mic mics but with proximity effect they get a lot fuller voice when they get closer to it and it doesn't go on the high end like it that, that mic tends to do so getting them to lean in closer to the mic almost you know have their chin on the mic when they speak talk over the mic to get rid of plosives not lean back while they talk that was a big thing for a while uh, everybody's pretty good about it now but i would have to do a lot of like envelope adjusting during recordings just to get people's levels to be right consistently do they use windscreens or pop filters? Everybody uses the same WSL, think WSL2 pop filter from Rode. Yeah, I've got one too. Who do you use as a podcast media host? We use Captivate. We use Captivate from day one because we always had the idea of eventually having an air quote network so we could have host multiple shows. We do our QC internally through that so it's easier to have multiple shows on the host. They had a few features we really liked from the get-go. I'm a big-time analytics nerd, so and their analytics were great. So They've been pretty good to us. In fact, our show was only out for like three weeks, and they invited me to speak for their podcasting day event yeah. back in 2021, right after our show came out. It was, it was a really neat experience. Who reached out to you from Captivate? Mark or somebody else? Danny. Danny, okay. Yeah. Mark Asquith, by the way, is the mm -hmm. Mark I was talking about. And I love his hobby podcast the star wars podcast that he does and i like star wars so there you go i'm a geek so how do you approach the graphics for your show i mean you got the logo do you do a different graphic for each show no um our our graphics are, are pretty pretty much the same we have uh our standard logo we changed it at like the three month mark just because i wanted to be a little bit more visually distinct but the core of it still lived there as far as anything uh, graphical wise for listeners 
not really too much. We are definitely not an audio show. I'm very careful to not make us a multimedia show at this point for several reasons. And one of them is that none of us are artistically inclined. And trying to make that happen is incredibly difficult and inc- or incredibly costly. And we don't want to incur either the time or investment or the monetary investment right now for that. Before the pandemic, I was very interested in rebranding Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., my hobby podcast that I do outside of Better Podcasting. And I did approach a graphics designer and we just never got it off the ground. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and nothing happened with it. But I was prepared to shell out somewhere between two and five thousand dollars to get a complete new treatment done. I'm glad it didn't do it at the time just because we didn't know for sure what our new brand was going to be. We're pretty sure now. And I could go through with it. But along the way is I've been trying to learn graphic design and I'm not artistic, but I could probably passively do something. Unfortunately, I just don't have the time to learn anything. I don't have any out of AutoCAD. I have no graphical design experience. I'm an engineer. I I don't make pretty pictures. That's for somebody else to do. I've been lucky enough that I have uh, several people I work with that are really skilled graphic designers that volunteer their time to help me with a logo. And that's been super duper helpful. Even though I offered to compensate them monetarily, they all turned it down. Nice. So I was very, very thankful for that at the beginning uh, because I did not have any expectation that they'd do it for me and they absolutely blew it out of the water, multiple iterations and everything. And it was really useful. It gave me all the source files. Now I can manipulate them willy nilly. Yeah, I've got that too for our current design. So I probably do some more graphics for the video. And I, every time I get into it, I just run into a time problem. That's why the graphics look the way they are for this. Yeah, I, I do a lot of, in over the past 15 years, I've done a lot of GUI work, graphical interface work. And uh, even though I do it all the time, I'm awful at it. So I, I just do not have the eye for artistic or design or anything like that. It's probably one of my biggest Achilles heel in this space is I don't really have a way to, to do that. Can't get my head around it. Something that a lot of podcasters are probably curious about since you mentioned it before was your roster changes. You seem to have some processes in place. might've been painful. It was for me when I first had some roster changes myself or co-host changes myself. Is there anything that you would tell other hobby podcasters that are listening to this right now any tips or tricks or best practices that they should involve themselves when this happens? Well, I can only speak to the type of show we have. And our show is very character-driven narrative. There's a a broader story that's pre-written, and we just kind of use that as a backdrop for the stories we want to tell. And the biggest thing is that respect the person that's leaving and the character they've created thus far and give them the exit that they want. But try to time it up with the entry of your new cast member. And that was a lot of work. Uh, it was a lot of work for me. It was a lot of work for them to try to get it all lined up right so that it didn't seem like a deus ex machina of this person's out and this person's in, and that it made sense with the story, that it wasn't a railroad. It wasn't a something that I just said, this is going to happen now. And it also respected not only how the character was, but the actions the character had taken. We referenced certain things before. As for like a, a show where it's an interview style or a little less, a little more factual based. I can't, can't really think of the term, but 
that I really have no idea how you would do that to have like a main voice of the show that just disappears one day. You know, it's not like you can gradually, all right, we're seeing that this person's leaving and we just taper them off and let the, the fans know that this is happening. But for a narrative podcast, you can always write them out. It's just a matter of how quickly you want to do it. Outside of better podcasting, every single other show that I've done, and I've done like seven or eight, I've always had cast change. I should know because Voices of Defiance, we were the three of us from start to end. But every other show, I've had some sort of a co-host change or a cast change along the way and try to be respectful of them, like you said, but try to find somebody new along the way too, just because the format that I have is more conducive to two, three or four people. And even the better podcast or the Gunna Geek show, the main show on the Gunna Geek network where this show is part of that has had cast changes before. I'm not the producer of that show, but Steven had to deal with that as well. So it's, it's pretty common, I would think, in all shows. Or maybe I'm just that bad of a person that people want to get away from. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a lot more common. Life gets in the way, right? Lots of things can keep somebody from continuing on with the show. And it really doesn't always have anything to do with being on the show it just has to do with all the other stuff that's going on. So I'm never going to begrudge somebody that wants to leave. I imagine that they're doing it for a reason and it's at a great cost, at least to themselves, you know, from an emotional standpoint, because we've all put so much into it. So the biggest thing for me is just to make sure that nobody leaves with bad blood and uh, everybody's welcome to come back if they need to yeah, or if they want to. So talking about the broader industry of passion podcasting, hobby podcasting, independent podcasting, whatever label that you want to put on it. You've obviously run into things along the way. What sort of advice would you have for other producers and podcasters that are doing the same thing? Make sure you want to do it, right? Make sure it's not just something that, oh, maybe I'll try this. And that has been my thing for a long time. I've struggled with like picking up and dropping hobbies like crazy. And this is the thing that I've stuck with the longest. And I think for me, at least, that was because I had other people doing it with me. If this was a solo thing, I probably would have dropped it when it got hard. But I would recommend, you know, get something that you love, that you're passionate about, that you're not going to get bored of and have a plan in place, right? Figure out how you're going to do it first. We spent months of planning on how we were going to produce the show and what we were going to name it and how we were going to market it and how we were going to adjudicate our discord and all that stuff. We had a full roadmap in place before we recorded the first episode. So we were sure that it's what we wanted to do before we even started. We didn't just kind of go off half-cocked. Only thing we did that way is our release date. I pushed our release date up like six weeks at the last minute, about three days before the release. But other than that, we had a plan, we stuck to it, and we kind of kept each other accountable. I don't know how I would have been able to do it without the other guys and my wife being 100% on board with it, I don't know how I would have been able to stick with it. Steven and I, you're talking about the preparation for months. Steven and I, we were both active podcasters with each other on multiple shows, and then we decided to do better podcasting because there wasn't a real resource out there for hobby podcasters at the time or passion podcasters at the time. There's a lot of consultants and advice out there for people that were business podcasters and wanted to make money because, well, that's how consultants get paid, right? They want to make sure that you're making money so that they make money along the way. And then we came along, but we wanted to make sure we did it right. We approached each other. He approached me, but I was about to approach him within hours. So it was mutual. 
along the holidays in 2014. So it's late December 2014, maybe early January, but I'm pretty sure it was late December. We didn't launch our first episode until the end of October. So it took us 10 months to prep, plan, prepare for that show as active podcasters. And it wasn't like we were sloughing off doing nothing. Steven was doing some hardware improvements beyond behind the scenes. He was doing some video improvements behind the scenes. I was doing some improvements behind the scenes, but then we were like, okay, what music should we use? And the better podcasting theme, it's pretty short, but it took us like three weeks to get it right. So everything along the way takes time. And if you want to do it right, that said, I would also advocate just get something out. You can improve it later. Your first show doesn't have to be perfect and you could go with it, but you got to go with whatever you're comfortable with. My concern is that people are either in the planning stages for so long they get discouraged or they're in the planning stages forever. It's like those people that buy sailboats and they're in the yard on the hard forever and they never actually get to sail. It's kind of sad, but it's a fine line that you have to ride between the two, in my opinion. All right. So you're like, okay, let's get prepared. Let's go. What other tips can you give other people? Pick a format and stick with it. At least until you know it's good or bad. A lot of the, the, the hobby is about iterative change, right? Making sure that it's something that your users like, your listeners like, but also it's something you like. But I see a lot of places or a lot of shows that will go 10 episodes and change your format or go 10 episodes and, oh, we're going to completely drop the storyline we're doing, or we're going to talk about this specific type of current event over and over and over and over and over again. I mean, if you got a niche, stick in it and don't try to get too broad with it. Don't try to move around so much you can't find your people because your people are so many different kinds of people. And that was something that I was, I was really worried about as well when we were trying to set the tone of our show is that we didn't get too, too serious or too madcap, just kind of keep it right in the middle and stick with it, not try to make big adjustments until we got people that told us no, stop, or keep going. All right. Is there any other advice that you can think of off the top of your head? Just do it, right? It's, uh, I, I said I, we did a lot of planning, and we did, but I mean, we had originally planned to have 12 episodes in the can before we released the first one. And we got to Labor Day weekend. And we had picked up our host just so I could figure out how it all worked. Got a two-week trial for him. And I set it all up. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to pull the trigger this weekend. Anybody have any problem with it? And we went from our release date being Halloween 2021 to Labor Day. Just because we thought we were ready and we just did it. Didn't want to wait anymore. I've heard two schools of thought with launching And one is, which I've never done, one is put a lot in the can because you always want to keep releasing episodes and you'll never want to keep your audience hanging, that sort of thing. But on the other hand, if you release your first couple of shows and you have something that's not working, like a segment that's not working, your audio production is crap and you change something like uh, new microphones or a new production method or new recording methods so everybody's on their own track, which makes the editing better, then you can make the change right away versus forcing people to have that same bad production for a while. Giving an example, Damien, who I think you know, Damien the DM from Adventures with Aurelia, they did their first 
episodes using a single Blue Yeti in the same room. He said those recordings are awful and he has changed it since where everybody's on their own microphone. But if he would have made that change in episode three, he would have been able to have better production almost from the get go versus having to suffer through. I don't know how many episodes he did before they got the new gear. I agree with that. That's a really good point. But I think the difference that came with our show is that we had production dead to rights before we recorded the first episode. As far as we all had our own mics, we knew what tools we were going to use. We were familiar with the tools. I mean, we recorded probably seven or eight sessions and fully produced them. And they'll never see the light of day because they're, you know, they were just tests, seeing how our chemistry worked, seeing that we understood the system, that everybody was understanding their mics better. We did have a couple production issues in the first couple episodes, and they were hardware related, but they were like a mic stand wasn't attached properly. So there was a vibration in it, and it sounded pretty awful. We were able to mostly fix it. But I'm so glad that we put that many episodes in the can because one of our cast members got in a motorcycle accident Ooh. about five weeks after the release of the first episode, and we still had eight or 10 episodes in the can while he was convalescing. And we pre-recorded episodes before the Christmas holidays, so we didn't have to do any recording or production all the way through mid-January. And right now, we have six in the can, uh, because I want to make sure that we're fine up through Gen Con, when I won't be able to produce anything that way. Well, okay, there's about three different things that I want to go off of on that. First of all, so you did record, you said six or seven sessions together before you finally decided this is episode one Mm -hmm. i would say one to three for sure for anybody out there just completely produce it front to back make sure you understand everything all the way up to publish before you actually get to episode one i think that's very valuable the co-host that had the accident that's terrible did you have any sort of audience response to that we did they were there was um a lot of sympathy. It was okay, right? He's not like he had a, a major thing. He was just achy and couldn't do a lot of moving for four to six weeks, so he couldn't sit and, and record. He was all right. It was a relatively low speed impact. But yeah, we had a lot of response. We actually found our community pretty quick. And even you know in those first few episodes, we had 30, 40 people in our Discord that were, oh, Raymond, you all right? Uh, you okay? You, anything you need? You know, it was, it was really nice to be able to see that, that, you know, people cared about that. Right. And then he was just trying to downplay and, and he was acting like he was perfectly fine. We had to just kind of put him on low duty for a while. But yeah, if, if we didn't have those episodes ready, then there would have been a a cut, right? We would have had to go two, three weeks, four weeks without an episode. And then we would have been scrambling to produce as we were recording. And that's not anything that anybody wants to do. Now, you produce Roll for Intent on a weekly basis. Yes. So you released episodes throughout the holidays this past year. Yes. How were your downloads in comparison to normal episodes? Our, actually, our biggest download day ever was January 1st. Oh. So we had really no slack in the holidays. We've had more slack off uh, in the summer months than we have at all. And it's not even been that significant. But yeah, we, we have no intention to not release those. And even if people aren't downloading them in the moment, when they come back from whatever they're doing, then they'll be happy to see that they have three or four episodes to binge. 
All right. And I know another thing that you wanted to talk about was community, but you also said something about Gen Con. So let's talk about Gen Con first. You're going off to your first convention, your subject matter convention as a podcaster coming up in just a few weeks. Right. Uh, two, three weeks or something like that. Yeah. You, so you're going to do some networking, immerse yourself into the gaming. Is this your first time at Gen Con? This is my first time at Gen Con. I'm really excited for it to be my first time at Gen Con. Yeah, it's, I can't say it's my first time at Gen Con because I did a panel at Gen Con, uh, their 50th Gen Con. I did a podcasting panel over there and met uh, some really cool people, did some networking over there. It's great. I think you'll love it for what you do. But what are your plans to actually do when you're there? Well, honestly, we kind of were a little behind the ball on planning. So what we wanted to do, a lot of the things were full. What my main thing is I want to find other, not just podcast content creators, but content creators of the games we play. Because we, we want to have multiple shows when we get our production schedule right. And one of the things we want to do is pick up brand new systems and play them like things that are in beta or they're trying to play test them or something that doesn't have a wide audience appeal or a wide appeal, not a big player base that are great that those creators deserve to have their things seen. Right. And it's fun for us because we get to try new things. So I want to try to find those people. There is an entire room full of game, uh, game testing at Gen Con. And I plan on spending a lot of time in there talking to people and trying to find out what's there try to find some creators that are, you know, hungry and have a good system and just need, need an audience. And I want to try to help them get that. I also know that there, and I don't know how they're going to work it this year, but there were just games available to play for an hour or so that you can jump in on. But I think you have to reserve a, a seat at the table or something like that. Right. Yeah. They have to be pre-reserved. And by the time that we had got everything in place, a lot of those spots were taken up. Are you going to take business cards with you or somewhere to exchange contact information? Lots of stickers. We don't really have business cards. It's something we thought about, but we're still trying to, to grow as far as, you know, make sure that we have money in the bank for our yearly expenses and stuff because our, the services we use are fairly expensive, right? So we haven't really invested in business cards, but all of our stickers, the backing, it's kind of cool. The backing all has a QR code and our contact information on the backing of the Mm. sticker. So we'll be getting a lot of those out. How are you going to take other people's information, con- new people that you want to interface with outside the convention, maybe even interview? Hopefully cards, hopefully V cards. If not, I'm going to have a notebook okay. <laughs> and jot people's stuff down. I, um, this is my first convention like this, but I've done lots of industry conventions over the years and a combination of like having business cards, V cards, having a notebook gets me everything I really need. Are you going to take any sort of recording gear with you in case you want to record a a little session for your show down the road? We thought of doing that, but because of several issues, a lot of the cast isn't going to be be able to be there. So it'll be a a skeleton crew for us. Unfortunately, we had originally planned on doing a lot, you know, uh, recording our first in-person show. It's just not going to work out this time. I know there are people that take interview microphones with little recorders that are attached to them. Like there's at least three out there. I know Zoom makes one, Tascam makes one with like a interview, like a dynamic microphone. Sennheiser MD 46 is my big one. I know it's expensive Mm -hmm. at about 200 bucks, but it's great for those sorts of situations. Or take out your phone, point the microphone at somebody. Either way, you'll have the ability to record. You're going to get a little bit more background ambient noise with the phone than you would uh, actual interview microphone. 
but I would just recommend that you just think about, well, what if we come across this? And maybe you don't do anything. Like I went to Podcast Movement last year down in Nashville, and I intentionally didn't bring anything to record nothing because I'm like, I'm just going to go there and experience this as a hobby podcaster. I am not here to cover it for better podcasting. Yeah, our show at this point isn't really interview focused. We, we probably won't be doing any th- anything like that, at least in the, in the short term, maybe in the future. But I'm more interested in networking people and getting an opportunity, hopefully in the next few months, to either do a collab or, you know, showcase their game. Okay, so that is coming up. Maybe we'll have you on the show later on to see how it went. I would really like to know your, your first con. Not only are you going because you like the material, the subject matter, because you're a gamer, but as a podcaster. So I'd be very interested in how that went for you later. Maybe we'll have you back on the show for that. But you also mentioned Discord server, and you also mentioned that you have at least 30 or 40 active people that reached out to your co-host when, or game player when he went down. So how did that work for you? How did you start it? How did you promote it? How do you interact with it? So the, uh, the Discord is probably my favorite thing about all of this, honestly. Um, when I first started this, I was really, really worried about the parasocial relationship that can be generated when you're doing something like this, where they think they understand everything that's going on because you're on the other side of the mic and you're talking to them. It worries me, right? Just makes me feel uncomfortable. But I really enjoy the actual social interaction where I can have a conversation with these people. I play with these people. We have regular games during the week that I'll drop in and we'll play a session or other people on the cast will drop in and we'll play a session. But we really started it just for a way for people to give us feedback and tell us if we sucked and how bad it was so we could fix it, right? So we had the Discord server up. I just noticed that the first Discord server test got put together on May 11th, 2021. And we had it up, you know, months before trying to get bots working in roles and all that stuff. And we had people join the very first day our show went live. We probably had we probably had six people day one, and I was absolutely ecstatic. I didn't know that we would have anybody join. And then by that first, first like two, three months, we had 50, 60 people, and we've grown up to be about 130 members now. And it's been a constant trickle, and it's something that we're always promoting because we want to hear from people. People are so, I don't want to say loath to do a review, but a lot of people don't want to do a review, right? But people do like to talk and people do like to have fun and play games. So if I can get somebody to come in and tell us how they like the show and get involved, tell us what we don't like so we can evolve the show more and honestly just make more friends, meet more people. That's my favorite thing about this so far. And growing that Discord directly allows us to interact with those people and have fun with those people and meet those people. So have you done anything uh, different since you started the Discord to now to make it a little bit more communicative with your audience? We have, I will say, uh, feedback-wise, I changed our mastering process because we have listeners that are hearing impaired that have cochlear implants or various other assistive devices to hear, and, and they had issues with hearing our show and understanding it. So when I, when he told me that he was having issues, I went back and I remastered those episodes. Because if somebody's not having a good time listening to it, if they get to that episode and they're like, well, we can't listen to your show, 
I failed because I want the show to be accessible to everybody. We've also, uh, our Discord conversations become fodder for some content and episodes. We'll talk about things that have happened on the Discord, call out users by name. We had a specific user that had uh, a specific type of car that he always complained about. And we did a, a Patreon show where the one of the killers just happened to have that same sort of vehicle. And we had a lot of fun time being able to, to bring in our community member at his, with his blessing into the show, just conversationally joking. And I think that's one of those things that really helps us drive more people to come to the show because they're involved somehow in the production of the show. We will get requests to, hey, the sound effect was really funky. It, it hurt my ears, right? I had an earthquake sound effect on one episode that somebody complained that it gave them, gave them hearing, you know, pain listening to it. So went back, remastered that, have removed that sort of tone from our, our episodes going forward. And we've been very open since the very beginning that we want our listeners not only to tell us they like us, but to tell us exactly what they don't like about us, because you can't get any better if you don't know. And we actively solicit those opinions. I recently was selected to be a judge on a community, a community competition that's going on right now. And I solicited the users in the Discord because I could not figure out how to write the bio for our show. And I just reached out in the Discord like, hey, this is hard. Anybody want to help? I got like nine people help me collaboratively write the bio that we put into this. So the listeners are super active and it's the best thing about it. Yeah, it's the best thing about a show. I mean, for most hobby passion podcasters, they do it really to build the community because they want to share with whatever they're doing, their passion with other people. And to have that sort of active community is definitely a bonus for any show. We have it over on the Guinea Geek Network, and I know some other networks have it as well. And it just really is an asset to have around. Discord's been phenomenal for that sort of thing. But it's not just on Discord. There is a bunch of promotion that you need to do across everything in order to reach people that aren't on your Discord. So I think you're struggling with that, just like every other podcaster. What have you done so far? Uh, I don't do social media very well, right? We have somebody on our cast that does Instagram. It's his thing. He's good at it. He's got a marketing degree. He's a, a stand-up comedian, and he does social media for a group of comedians he's with. He's just great at it, right? And he was out last week, and I had to take over the Instagram duties. And I felt like I was driving a spaceship because I had no idea what the heck I was doing. I had to get my wife to help me. It was just, it was awful. I, I'm just not good at that sort of thing. But even then, trying to find an audience and try to find your people in that just vast sea of undifferentiated content, even though you have tags and you have like hashtags and ads and all that other stuff, right? Everybody's doing that. So how do you differentiate yourself? We've done stuff like we use headliners to do clips of our shows. And, you know, we feel that's helpful sometimes. We're trying to think how we can bring in TikTok, but that's a whole other animal. And trying to do video production when we don't already do it is just nuts. Uh, we've had uh, quite a bit of success, actually, with Facebook. We've done a few ad campaigns with Facebook. and It was able to get our first regular listeners in Africa. So we have listeners on every continent now. So that was really Including cool to be able Antarctica. to. So 
we have a listener that spent time okay. in McMurrow Station. So I'm counting that one. Okay. But that was something really cool to be able to target that. I'm already a super analytics geek around this sort of stuff. So being able to target a few specific markets in Asia or in Africa or in Eastern Europe that I've been told are good markets for other shows similar to ours was a really big benefit to us. And I mean, even though I'm not a big fan of Facebook broadly, it was a really good way to connect to people that we probably wouldn't have easily connected to before. In the future, you could probably actually play your game in the metaverse. (sighs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Sure. I mean, ready player one is right there. It's going to happen. Yeah, sure. Okay. Any other promotion tips? Um, it's all about, I guess, all about finding your people. And when you find your people, try to dig into that. Something that I, f- I used really early on when we were trying to get a foothold is I found other fandoms that I was happened to be a part of, but other fandoms that were like ours. So other actual play podcasts that were successful, right? Those people that are there were already primed to listen to a show like yours. Just got to get them to try it, right? I would go into those spaces and try to promote our show as respectfully as possible to the show that already exists there. But that was a really big boost to us early on is going into some Reddit communities and some Facebook communities for some shows that were already in progress and getting some big listener bumps during the community days where people are able to drop in their content or whatever. So grabbing people that are already primed for your content is a great way to do that. And the best way to do that is to find fans of other podcasts. Podcast listeners listen to more podcasts, right? We have a couple guys in our Discord that log thousands of hours a year listening to shows. And those are the kind of people that are in those spaces that are always looking for something more to devour because their favorite weekly shows, they listen to them an hour after they come out, right? So they're always looking for more content to fill or if a show falls off. So going into those spaces where people are primed for your content is probably the fastest, easiest, cheapest way to build a quick base of listeners that will listen rather than somebody just sees an ad scrolling by somewhere. So you're pretty unique. Actually, I wouldn't say you're unique because podcasters used to be guys like you, either musicians or guys that were in AV production already. But I would say you're unique now because a lot of people that want to get into it don't have that background. So you have that background and then you started a podcast a year ago. You probably know you've been paying attention to the industry. I see where you're communicating in. I see the discord servers you're in. I see where you're posting online. So you have a decent sense of what's going on in the industry. Do you have any industry gripes for your type of show right now? It's hard to be seen if you, for my type of show, actual play podcasts are kind of a dime a dozen, right? There were a couple early on that, honestly, they're the giants whose shoulders we stand on. While I don't listen to them very much anymore, one of our biggest inspirations was Glass Cannon Podcast which was kind of started a similar way. And they just have had absolute wild success at the beginning when actual play podcasts were not that big of a thing, right? 
But outside of big players in those spaces, if you are an, a small independent podcaster and you're not playing something like D&D that already has wide appeal, right? It's that much harder to be seen. If your game isn't mainstream, and that doesn't necessarily apply to mind game, Pathfinder 2nd Edition, which is what we play, is one of the larger systems, right? One of the most well-known systems outside of Dungeons & Dragons. But if you're playing a smaller system that's really fun and you have really good content and nobody knows about their, your system and you're advertising that you're a Delta Green show and nobody knows what the heck Delta Green is, right? It's hard to get a foothold for those people. And there are people out there that are making absolutely awesome content that just don't get seen, right? And that is my biggest gripe with the industry right now is that, you know, while tabletop RPGs have kind of come out of the shadows, so to speak, in the past, you know, five, six years, owing to things like, you know, Stranger Things, right? Making it a little less, less weird to play role-playing games or just geek culture at large becoming more mainstream. That's been great for getting it more broad appeal, but the appeal is still at the most well-known things. There's so many sub-genres within where people are creating content that it's heartbreaking to see them pour themselves into it and then, you know, not get anything out of it listener-wise or community-wise. And I really wish that there was better tools that the community had to be able to promote their show and for people to find their show and people to be able to find their people. And it's really hard to do that. A lot of the top 10 type articles being written in major publications about podcasts are usually the top 10 lists that the author of the article is listening to and not necessarily the true top 10 or 20 or 30 podcasts that are in the space, whatever space that is. And I wish there was more of a way for people to sample shows and get an idea of the quality of the show, regardless of listenership or like reviews or something like that. But I haven't found it yet. I hope eventually there is some sort of algorithm that makes that happen, but I don't know. We'll see. I will say that Spotify has done a really good job for us picking up new shows. Like people will listen to a show that's slightly similar to us. And we've gotten a lot, a lot of people that have started joining our show that got recommended by us on Spotify due to their algorithm. So it happens, right? But you're right. It's either luck of the draw and it's all based on what other people are listening to. There's no way to find like an objective measure of quality outside of people have already listened to you. And if you haven't gotten that, if you know, it takes listeners to find listeners almost. It does indeed. Well, I know you've got a commitment coming up in a couple of minutes. You know, one of the gripes people have about podcasts is, well, no, you have time. Well, no, not everybody does, because I know you have <laughs> something after this. But we're coming up on the end of our time here. Is there anything that you wanted to get to that we haven't discussed yet? You know what? I do want to call out somebody real quick. The guy that is our rules lawyer on our show, he's a really great creator. His name's uh, Christian Cheney, and uh, he just recently launched his YouTube channel for Beast Foundry. He's our rules lawyer. He's a regular on our show. He was literally our first fan, and he has been a huge, huge, huge boon to us helping build our community, and we would not be here today without the support he gave to us, and I want to give every bit of support I can to his passion project over the last 30 years, which is Beast Foundry, and he's bringing this whole world to life, and 
Uh, it's really great. He's a great dude, and I really think more people need to take a look at his stuff, both in the community and out. Uh, he's a really good asset, and he's a really good ambassador for the uh, TTRPG hobby. Awesome. So one of the things that I said at the very beginning of the show is I was going to ask you, you named your show Roll for Intent. Why not Roll with Intent? That's a good question. It was just something that somebody blurted out. And uh, I'm like, okay, sure. Because we had gone through a bunch of other names that were all nixed due to various reasons, whether like, oh, that's already used by somebody or, oh, I wouldn't be comfortable telling that name of the show to my grandma, right? Like we had landed on a really good one for a while, eat, crit and die. And I'm like, I like the pun, but it's a little too crass to be the name of my show. Even though our show is crass, it's, it's explicit, right? We don't shy away from blue language, but when you got that on the tin, right? You got something like that on the tin, it, it denotes a certain type of show and can turn people away. But roll for intent is, you know, I don't know if we just stuck on it, right? There's no real, there's no origin story. It's just the one that rose to the top. <laughs> well, I just gave you, if you ever have to rebrand slightly, now you know, not too much. I just gave you your second show, your follow on show name, roll with intent. You might want to pick that domain up. <laughs> Thanks. If it's not already picked up somewhere. All right. So Trevor, thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to listen to your show, if they want to find you for whatever reason, where would they go? They can go to rollforintent.com. They can just search Roll for Intent on any podcast app. It'll come up and you can follow us on Twitter at Roll for Intent. You can follow us on Instagram at Roll for Intent. And we've got a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Roll for Intent. How would they get to your Discord? Discord is going to be rollforintent.com slash Discord. We'll bring you right there. All right. Thank you very much, Trevor. And hopefully we'll talk to you again after you come back from Gen Con. I look forward to it. All right. Thanks. Thank you very much to being here with me and Trevor all the way to the end. If you, con if you like content like this, please subscribe to this YouTube channel. And if you like the video, go ahead and give it a thumbs up. Stephen and I would greatly appreciate it. Now, next week, I plan to stream and chat with a long-term podcasting friend who actually saved my butt at Star Wars Celebration in Chicago in the cold April of 2019. That's Jeremy Dennis from the Transmissions Podcast. He's got a lot to say about podcasting coming up with 500 episodes and what specifically is going on with his show this year. So don't miss it. Tuesday night, July 19th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, streamed right here on the Better Podcasting YouTube channel. See you all then.